so good to be here this morning to worship with you and uh, really appreciate the ministries that, that are going on here at the church. I was at Urbana 31 years ago, and it still has an impact. I still think about what I learned there. Um, it's such a powerful work that God's doing there. and That, that was very, uh, very vivid um, to see what Christ has done and how he's changed our lives. It's great, great work. Well, this morning... Um, I wanted to talk about a passage in Scripture that's well known to many of us, um, and I think it touches our lives, too, as we live through day-to-day and, and uh, uh, really try to be and live out our Christianity, try to be a witness for Christ. Um, several years ago, when I first became a believer, I was excited about my faith, and I wanted to share that, and I wanted to go out and talk to people I was close to. Uh, and I thought, wow, you know, what, what better way to start expressing this new life that God had given me than to talk to people that I knew closely and that I had grown up with and been around. And, and I, I proceeded to share the gospel as best I could, what I knew how to do with someone that I'd known very well for a while. And I was getting into it and going on and on. And, and, and I thought that they would be, oh, wonderful, yes, what can I do to have that same kind of relationship with God? But the response was completely different than I had expected. Uh, Instead of welcoming that, uh, this person became very angry with me and began to say things that you don't want to repeat and uh, accuse God of things that uh, I just thought, wow, that just caught me completely off guard. And, uh, and, and I'd realized at that time that I had really bumped up against the world in a sense and against somebody who was pretty hostile. And it, and it kind of affected me, actually, a little bit. Uh, I, I began to think, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know how easily I want to continue to do this because of the, the response that I got was, was so hard. And, and I think that 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 may have affected us at different points in our walk with God. We, we bump up against the things that are out there, uh, however that might be, and, and realize that not everybody is going to be accepting and be open to hearing about our lives and what the Lord has done in us. And, uh, and, it, and it could give us reason to shy back a bit and to maybe not be as open about our lives and who we are and what, what Jesus has done in our, in our, our world and in our lives uh, and so today, I thought we would look at a passage by the Apostle Paul, who certainly had experienced his share of bumping up against the world and seeing uh, hostility, actually, against, against sharing what God had done. And, and look at how he thinks about the gospel and how he thinks about sharing his life and what God has done in his life. And, and in this passage... Uh, I'd like to take a look at four different things that are said here that might remind us and help us to remember why we are not ashamed of the gospel and not ashamed of what Jesus Christ has done. Even though we might run into challenges or tension, you know, when we're out there rubbing uh, our, our lives with the world in whatever setting we might be in. And so let's look today, and I appreciate... Um, how Aaron shared, read that for us, will be in that passage today uh, and, and take a look at this. Now, 
in, in this, I've kind of gone beyond the boundary here a little bit because the first two verses are really what we're going to focus on, but I wanted to touch it a little bit beyond that as well, and so we're going to get a little farther, and, and I'll point that out in one of the points uh, along the way. So this morning we'll be looking at Romans, and let me, uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17 primarily, but we'll touch a little bit into to this next passage. So Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, as we look at this, a couple of things that we can see here from this very first point, and and the first point here that I have, and I'm going to have to actually pass through a couple of, to get to this point. The first point is that we are not ashamed of the gospel, and you can write this down if you'd like to in your notes or just follow along here, is that the gospel is God's work and God's message. It is something that originated with Him. Now, now I don't know about you, but in, in life, I can be ashamed of things that I do you know, or things that I say, maybe of something that I've, I've made, if you will, or maybe how I've talked to someone. I can be ashamed of my teaching that's not quite what it should be, or, or have you ever been out where you're, you're talking to someone and you just think back to your conversation and kind of cringe and go, oh, why did I say that, you know, or, or, or something that you did and maybe it didn't turn out as well as it could have had you put the time in that you needed to and so forth. I mean, we can be ashamed of of things that we do. But when it comes to the gospel, uh, we are not ashamed of the gospel because it's not anything that we have done. We didn't make this message. We didn't do the work of this message. This is something that is entirely God's. And and he has given that to us to work in our lives in the first place, but then also to be shared with others. So a couple things. It is, it is first of all, is God's work. The gospel is God's work. And, and we see that in passage like 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, that is a summary of the gospel. And maybe you've memorized that. I'll read that to you. It says, Paul's writing, and he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So we see here that the gospel is God's work. It's something that was done entirely outside of ourselves. He did this for us. It originated in his mind. It was carried out by his son, by Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's something that God gave to us. We we didn't do it ourselves. Now, we cannot improve it. Uh, we, we can't update the gospel. Uh, it's, it was perfect when it was done. It was good for all time in eternity. It, it's not something that we can better somehow. It, it was already a masterpiece when it was done. And that's the amazing thing about God. All of his works were perfect at the very beginning when he did it. He doesn't improve himself. He doesn't learn. It was already done perfect. Maybe you might think of this in the sense of, like a, a work by Mozart. You know, we, we know about how he could, he could write a piece of music perfectly 
uh, and not have to go back and change it. And, and, you know, they found his manuscripts and they don't have a lot of changes in them. It was just done right at the first time. Uh, and, and, and we see that when we listen to that music. Uh, but that's, that's how the gospel was. It's God's work and it was done perfectly at the very beginning. It's not something that, that I have to make better. So we're not ashamed of that because it's something that originated with God, and it is a good thing. It is the good news, and that's why in the original uh, in Greek, it, it's euangelion, which means in Greek, good news, because it is good news, and it was good news from the very beginning. And that's what God has called us to live. It's, it's that we receive the good news, and it does a work in our lives, like which was shown so clearly in the dance, that God changes us. And he works inside, calls us to relationship with Jesus Christ, and it affects our lives how we live now. It'll affect our eternity forever, but it touches us right now. And we have that relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the work of God, and it's an amazing thing. And so we're not ashamed to share that with what God has done. And, and we can do that so well in a, in a testimony. Each one of us who has that relationship with Jesus has that testimony of what God has done in our lives. And it's such a way to open a door to share more about Christ and to get into more of the specifics of what is needed to believe in Christ. And so it's God's work, but it's also God's message too. You know, if I am having to create something myself and come up and give a speech, you, you know, you've given speeches. And I, I still remember a speech I gave at Cal State Long Beach some time back, and I remember I was just nervous as can be I had to pass this class, you know, and, and I had to come up with something, and it was my own creation. And, uh, and you know, I thought, how are people going to think of me, and how are they going to think of what I'm saying, or are they going to see that I'm really not that sharp at this and all that? Uh, you know the feelings that you go through. But the gospel is different. The gospel is something that God made. It's his message. And Paul tells us that in a couple of passages. Let me read those for you. In Galatians, if you have your Bible, you can look at some of these. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul is talking to the Galatians, and he's telling them you know, that they should not veer away from the gospel, that, that, that it is what saves. It is the power of God. And, and he says to them in verse 11, chapter 1, verse 11, he says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me I'm sorry, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. It wasn't some philosophy that, that uh, Paul had come up with or some new teaching. You know, there's all kinds of new teachings out there. There's all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of, of ideas that people have out there, right? And, and, and they collect followers. And this has gone on for time and eternity. It just, it's just that people will follow into a kind of thought or some new idea or something that comes along, and it might be a fad, and it comes and it goes. But the gospel was not something that was according to man. We didn't make this up. And when we're sharing our faith with people, we, we don't have to worry about making something up. And, and that removes the pressure, you know? I don't have to be clever uh, in, in sharing the gospel. I am telling what God has done in my life and that what he did through Jesus Christ. It's something that God did. It originated with him, not with man. 
And then he goes on in verse 12, in Galatians 1.12, and he says, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul had seen a special, had a special meeting with Christ, and we remember that. He was on his way charging hard toward Damascus, and he was going to ravage Christians. He had already killed Christians, or approved killing Christians. I mean, Saul was not a good guy. Uh, we see Saul through, through the filter of Paul, but Saul was not a good guy. In fact, he says he was the chief of all sinners, right? And if God could save the chief of all sinners, he could certainly save us. Uh, my sin is just as bad, but, but he shows that as an example. And he, said, and he had this meeting, right? And God had to knock him off his horse and blind him to kind of get his attention, right? And, uh, and he says that I received it through revelation. In other words, the gospel came from Jesus Christ. And, and we have that same gospel that God has given to each of us, that he's worked in our lives. And it's something that, that we learn more clearly as we study the Bible, as we read it, but it is a message from God. And so we don't need to be ashamed of it because we are showcasing God's work and really just saying, this is what God has done. This is his message, and this is his work. And, and boy, that just makes it so much uh, less stressful as we're sharing the gospel with people. I remember one time I was on a short-term mission trip to Mexico, and I was a brand-new Christian, and we were going to work with some kids. And... Uh, Somehow, I got elected to give the message. And it was a very simple one. We had kids, kind of like the, the children's church uh, time here, and a little simple message. I wasn't as clever as Norman. That was really very good. And I tried to remember, do I know any Spanish? So I know Dios and Jesus and, and that. And I was trying to show a little illustration, kind of a bridge illustration. If you've seen that of coming to Christ, you cross the bridge, and you put the cross in the middle. And I was really clumsy. And, and my teammates were standing off to the side and kind of snickering because I was not, you know, it was funny. I wasn't doing that great of a job. And the kids were all sitting there. And off to the side, there was an older man, a parent of one of the kids. At the end of the, the little presentation, he said, I want to receive Christ. And it just every, it silenced everybody, including myself. Because the gospel has power to change a life. And I don't have to be so sophisticated and eloquent, not that that's bad if I can do that, but I need to share what God has done. And he's made it so simple, what he's done in my life, and that can help me to go back to what he's done in scripture. So the gospel is God's work and it's God's message. Secondly, we are not ashamed of the gospel, and we'll see this again in Romans 1.16, because the gospel is God's power for salvation. It's God's power for salvation. God does the work in the heart. God is the one who changes the heart. And this is so incredible because this is the power of God. And when we think of the power of God, I don't know what comes up in your mind, but I think of a couple of things. So this is the power of God that created matter, the universe, uh, the stars, the supernovas, the quasars, all that stuff that's out there, the space dust and the black holes. And, 
enormous beyond our ability to even imagine how vast that is. And he did it with a word. God spoke and things happened. That's the power of God. Uh, this is the power that can part water and make water stand still. Uh, we still haven't been able to figure that one out, right? Uh, and, and not freeze it, but it just piled up on both sides, right? And when the Jordan River was, piled, was stopped, what did it say? It piled up. And how does water do that? Well, God, that's the power of God. He did that. Uh, this is, this is the, the power that caused the sun to stand still. Uh, it, it, back when Joshua was, was battling, and, and it says in the Bible that never before had a man, had God listened to the voice of a man like that day, and that stopped still so that Joshua could continue to conquer. Um, we could go on and on. This is the, the power that confused armies. It enabled Mary to conceive. Uh, it walked on water. It calmed storms. It healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, raised the dead, and it's the power that overcomes the devil. It's the power that forgives sins. And it can turn an enemy into a lover of God. This is the power of God that works in people. And Paul was not ashamed to share that, to spread that news, because he knew and we know that God's power is still at work. We know that he can change the heart. Uh, you, you've probably had experiences with this. Um, you might have had a family member who you never dreamed would believe, and they believe, of all people, um, or somebody else uh, in your family. I remember some years ago before we went overseas, uh, we had care of Jill's grandmother. She was 93 at the time, and uh, it was Thanksgiving, and she was coming over, and I had a friend of mine who was going to visit with us, and we are going to have Thanksgiving together. And uh, Grandma came, and we had been praying for her and praying for her. And that night, just through a, a series of, of circumstances, at 93, Grandma accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. I could never have believed that in my own lack of faith. But God's power changes that. And I'm sure you've seen that and experienced that. How could that happen? And yet, this is the power of God that works for salvation. Uh, now, now we, when we see the word salvation, we have to remember, for that word to make sense, you've, you've got to be saved from something, right? You know, if I'm in the house and I go outside, you don't say I'm saved from the house. But if I'm in the house and there's a fire going on and somebody brings me out, well, then I'm saved because there's a problem there. And verses 18 through 23 really explain that. Now, that's part of, an, of another section here, but I want to read that because I think it's important, and I'll back up to that, and we'll read through this together, because I think it's important for us to understand this as a background for what Paul is teaching here, and he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what was made, has been made, so that they are without excuse. Excuse me, I'm going to keep moving on. So that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor God, him as God, or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools 
and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and of crawling creatures. And I think as we read through this passage and we see kind of a, of a, of a strong um, uh, explanation here of the situation that God's wrath is righteous because man has turned away from God and turned toward idolatry. And really that's what that's explaining here is the idolatry in the heart of man. And we need to remember that the wages of sin is death. And so Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because he knew that though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's what we are called to share with the world and to live that out in our lives and to share that with the world. So we're not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation. Well, thirdly, a third thing we see in this passage here is that we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is without boundaries to all who believe. It has no boundaries. It's not, it's not held back by geography or ethnic ethnicity or language or anything. The gospel penetrates all and goes everywhere. And that's just what's so amazing about this. It's, it's for everyone who believes. Uh, some years ago in Romania, I was in a, a church in the service, and I was up front as part of the service. And I remember sitting there kind of looking around at different people who were there. And, and, and as I was just looking around and see who came that, that evening, um, it struck me. This particular church has a ministry to orphans, and a number of young orphan women attended the church. And Jill had an opportunity to do some ministry with some of them, and they come out of a difficult situation. The, the Romanian state orphanage at that time, you probably heard about that, horror, horror stories through some of that was a very hard place. And it would affect these young girls, and boys actually, there. Uh, and, and affect them for life. Uh, being neglected, not having any kind of intimacy with anyone could really affect how you think and, and cause you to have some, some longer-term issues in life. But this church reached out to them, and many of them had come to know Christ as their Savior. And I remember sitting there, and there was one particular young lady who was there, um, and she was sitting in the audience, and as I looked at her, I thought, you belong here. You are part of God's family. And, and there are others who were of a higher class, and I don't mean to make comparisons because God loves all people, but there were others who were of a higher class who were not there and were not a part of God's family, but she was there because she believed. That's what it took. She believed, and what she understood and, and, and how she saw God in maybe a simple way, she believed and she belonged. And that's the power of the gospel, and that's why we're not ashamed, because it's a message that touches the heart to anyone who believes. And it's amazing when we think about that. We have been given something that can cross all boundaries. You know, in today's world, with the political... <laughs> complications and the mess that's going on and nobody agrees and everybody's offended and we say this and it offends that person and, and we don't understand one another. 
but the gospel can penetrate the heart. And, and, and I really, that's why I really appreciate what Brother Norman did and, and how creative that was. And as I saw this verse here this morning, I thought, oh, this is just so perfect. But he explained it so much better than I can by demonstrating this to us. But I just want to refer to that. Paul says, I, I kept my bearings in Christ, so he kept his focus on Christ, but I entered their world. What a way to say that. I entered their world to experience things from their point of view. Now, there may be certain worlds that we don't like. You know, there may be certain ways that some people are that we don't necessarily agree with or, or, or value. But, but if we read this, how Paul became all things to all people, he did that for a purpose. Because a greater good is that all people come to know Jesus. And so we encounter all kinds of different people in our life. And as a missionary, you know, it's kind of part of it that you go over there and you try to become as much a part of the culture as you can. Now, I will never be a Romanian. They will always see me as different. But I kind of tried to be a 150% person. So I'm still 100% American in what I grew up right? But I want to be at least 50% Romanian when I'm there. And, and hopefully I can learn that along the way. And, and we really tried to do that. We, we kind of had a, a little policy at home where when we were in the house, we spoke English and we were Americans. And yeah, occasionally we speak Romanian for fun, but, but, you know, but when we went outside, we would sort of put on a new hat and shift gears and try to be as Romanian as we possibly can. Now, obviously, they could tell. But we would speak Romanian all the time. We, we tried to dress like that. We tried to, to learn how to become all things so that we could have a voice and we would be able to share what Christ has done in our lives and what Christ can do in their lives. But that, that means a couple of things, and I think this is something that, that we all can learn is that, as was very well said to this morning, we need to be culturally aware. We need, to, we need to learn somebody else's language and somebody else's um, practices. Why do people do the things that they do? And, and we learned this, a number of things like that in Romania, and just the language in itself. Uh, and, and as you get into this, it's so, it, was, it was fascinating to me because as we got into it, we would learn a little bit more and a little bit more, and when we would realize, as we would learn more, just how much we didn't know. <laughs> and, and it was just so interesting, but when we would have American teams come from churches to visit, and we would have different ministries that we would do, you would kind of see the contrast. And uh, so one summer, we had a, a, a VBS going on in a small village, and you guys have prayed for this village, Orishtia, if you We've talked about that a little bit. And I remember we had this one team come over, and uh, they're coming from Southern California, and they're going to do a VBS. And they chose a theme that was surfing. Now, Orestia is landlocked, and they wouldn't know what a surfboard was from an airplane wing. I mean, but they brought a surfboard, and it actually went pretty well. Uh, but the kids there had no idea what was going on with that. And so, so we had said to them, send us your, your, your lessons to look at ahead of time because they got them translated into Romanian, right? And, and so we'll just look and make sure that it's, it, the wording is right, okay? So they send us 
this stuff. And, and their theme was, now this is a Southern California thing, their theme was kind of like, we're going to be hanging out with Jesus, right? Okay, that's the idea, okay? So they called it Hanging with Jesus. But they translated it on Google Translate, you know, 10 years ago. So guess what word that they came up with for hanging? It was the noose. And, uh, and I remember they said that to me, and I looked at that, and I just started laughing, you know. Kind of ironic, right? Because, I mean, the apostles really did hang for Jesus, you know. And I thought, well, maybe we should keep that. No. And I showed that to a Romanian friend of mine. He just started laughing and just, oh, my. So we had to make some changes, as you can tell. Um, but but the, the thing of that was we wanted to become relevant to them. That was a fun thing. It was creative, and the kids did enjoy that. And it really actually went pretty well at the end of the day. But, but we want to be careful because we can use language to speak about what God's done in our lives that may not necessarily connect with somebody. Uh, may, maybe it's a generational thing. You know, today maybe the younger generation may not really connect with us people who are sit between 60 and 70, you know, something like that, you know. Um, and, and I'm getting up there. So, but, but you know, we, we, we want to be able to communicate because we want them to have their lives touched by Jesus. And so, so we want to be students of the culture. And students, now again, as Paul said here, he kept his bearings. I really like that. We're not changing our message. You know, we're not going to change what the gospel has to say. It still says that we need to believe in Christ, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. So we, we, don't, we don't change that. But we do try to communicate it in ways that are going to be relevant to those who are around us. And, and that means that we want to become students of culture. I was thinking about this when I, when I came this morning and, and uh, thought, well, let me just see if I can find some things about culture that, that might be of, of help just for me to, to understand this a little bit more. And I, and I read a, a, a website on speaking to younger people called millennials, right? And, and um, you know, thinking, okay, what don't I know? And I don't know a lot. But they really said some interesting things there about trying to understand, you know, how we can communicate with people who are of a different a different uh, generation. And I would say the same thing goes in the opposite direction. If somebody's younger, you know, and sharing their faith, we want to know how to speak to people who are older than us and who have that kind of... One of the things that I thought was interesting in this particular article, actually I resonated with this, said that, you know, us who are a little older generation, we, we see everlasting life oftentimes as being out there in the, in the future. You know, it's we're going to live and we're going to go to heaven. And so you ask the question, if you were to die today, do you know that you would be in heaven with God? You know? and, and interestingly, now this is one person's opinion, but his comment was that that may not resonate so well with the younger person because they're not thinking about that. You know, younger people don't think about those kinds of things anyway, right? We kind of live in the here and now. And his thought was, well, when we share the gospel with someone who's younger, we want to talk about how God can touch your life now and change you now. And I think the dance really said that well that God can change our hearts today. We started our everlasting life right now. And that is so true. Isn't that what's reflected in the gospel? Talking about change of heart in the way we see things. And so as we're sharing 
you know, it's not that we're having to come up with something creative because the message is God's message, but we're trying to, to learn how to say those things in ways that, that people will understand it because the value of a soul, the value of somebody who comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So the third reason that we're not ashamed of the gospel is because it is without boundaries to all who believe. The fourth the fourth reason. The fourth reason that we are not ashamed of the gospel is because ultimately it is life transforming. It changes life, right? It changed your life and it changed my life. And God still wants to change lives. You know, he really wants to populate that great worship time we're going to have in front of his throne with people from every place. Uh, and he wants it to be full. He wants there to be a lot of people there. It's, it's life transforming. Romans 1.17, let me read that to you. It says, for in, for in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So this is the righteousness of God that is seen through the gospel, and we understand that by seeing righteousness in a couple of different ways. It is righteousness that's at work. It's righteousness that does something. It changes us from being unrighteous to having the righteousness of Christ. And you know, the old, the old uh, theological term from that was it imputes Christ's righteousness. It takes it and puts it into us that we didn't have. And so now we have the righteousness of God, of Jesus Christ, in us. And we are innocent then. We are no longer guilty because that righteousness vindicates us. It's a righteousness that God can then declare and say, you are not guilty. You once were guilty, but now you are not guilty because Jesus took your punishment. So justice was paid, uh, that, that's perfectly good. He did it for you, and so you are now righteous. So it's this righteousness that it vindicates us. But it's also a righteousness that transforms us, that changes us. It, it works inside of us. It, it, it causes us to be different, and it changes our hearts. And, and he goes on in that verse, and he says, it's from faith to faith. Actually, let me back up to that. I'm sorry that these are out of order, um, but let me just back up. We can look at the verses we go through that. He says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed, so it has, it has been shown to us in Jesus Christ and what he does. Then he says, from faith to faith. So the emphasis here is that it's, it's faith. It's just emphasizing the fact that that righteousness comes from believing whether you are a gypsy girl who grew up in an orphanage in Romania or whether you grew up in a palace, it is that faith that does it. That's what causes us, and that's what brings us in to the family of God. And then he goes on and he says, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by his faith. Now, this is an interesting thing that he puts in here because it's a quote from the Old Testament. Maybe you've you remember this, it comes from the book of Habakkuk, the Old Testament prophet. 
And if we look at that, it's, it's very interesting how Paul puts that in here because back in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, it says, but the righteous man, the righteous will live by his faith. So the situation was this. Habakkuk was a prophet, and he was looking at Israel at the time. And, and the people of Judah had turned away from God. They were living in rebellion. Uh, there was violence in the street. There was corruption. There was immorality. Uh, we can kind of understand that. You know, we look around. I mean, and he saw this, and Habakkuk was a prophet of God, and he was looking at that, and he was just struggling. God, look at this mess that's down here. I mean, these are supposed to be your people, and they're all liars, and they're all thieves, and they're all murderers. They're, they're, look at what they're doing here. So God answers Habakkuk, and he says to Habakkuk, I'm going to take care of the situation because I'm going to send the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, and they're going to destroy Jerusalem and Judah. Now, Habakkuk heard that, and he stopped for a minute, and he thought, whoa, whoa, wait, well, hold it, hold on, wait a minute. You're going to send those guys here? I mean, seriously? They're worse than we are. How, would you, how can you send them to us when they are worse than we are? I don't understand that. That's not right. You know, it'd be kind of like saying, you know, we got problems in our culture, but we're going to go look, look for somebody who's even worse, and they're going to come through. And we're going to bring, I don't know, we're going to bring the mafia in to come and clean up, you know. Or we're going to bring in, you know, I don't know, some renegade, you know, African warring tribe to come and clear it. You're going, wait a minute, God, that doesn't make sense. But God said, well, I will punish then the Babylonians for what they do. They, they'll receive justice because God is just to all mankind. All have sinned. But this is what I'm going to do. And then he says to Habakkuk, but the righteous, that is you, Habakkuk, you need to live by trusting in me. You need to trust that what I'm going to do is right. And so that takes us to the very end of the book. So he sets that stage, the righteous man shall live by his faith. And he's probably saying that the righteous person will survive. He will live by his faith. Just as Paul writes here that the righteous one will live and not perish by faith. So, so it's going from death to life. But also, it has a sense of an ongoingness to it, a way of life. The righteous will live his life out by faith in the same way. So we don't just come into faith one time and then, okay, that's all we have to think about, obviously. We want to grow and walk with the Lord, and each day is a day of living in trust in Him. So it takes us to the end of Habakkuk, and this is just fascinating here. Habakkuk 3.16, and if you have your Bible, open up to that, and, uh, and we'll read the last few verses of this, of this book, because I think right here we will really see how Habakkuk lived by faith. Habakkuk is a book of faith. It's fascinating here, and he says, and I heard, and my inward parts trembled. Now, this is Habakkuk. He heard what was going to happen. His inward parts trembled because he knew what was coming. At the, sound, at the sound of what God was telling me, my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones, and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress. I, find, I just want to stop at that moment. 
That is so interesting. Habakkuk was a believer in God, and he submitted himself to God and said, if God, you said that, I must do it. What a, what a statement of submission to God. I don't like it, Lord, but because you told me that, I have to do this. And then he goes on, for the people to arise who will invade us. Then he says here, this is a statement of faith. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on high places. That is a statement of faith. Although, Lord, I don't understand it, I don't like it, and I, I, I don't know what you're doing here, I will trust in you. The righteous man will live by his faith, by trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we, we know that so well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. So we are not ashamed of the gospel because it does transform a life. It does work in our hearts. It's that righteousness of God that makes us righteous, and we have the righteousness of Jesus in our lives. So as we go out into our week and into our days ahead of time, as we keep this in our mind, we don't have to invent the message. It's already there. We can just tell what God has done for us. And we know that that message is for everyone. There's, there are no boundaries there. It's the power of God that can penetrate everything, and it transforms a life. Let me pray.